Well, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Gary White. Gary and his family have been at Bible Center now for almost three years. And Dr. White is in our community group. He's taught a workshop here this uh, spring. And he sings in the choir, involved in our Union Mission ministry. How many of you were here to hear him speak at the Union Mission food distribution? Anybody get to hear him speak? God greatly used him there. We had a number of folks saved. And so it's my privilege this morning to introduce Gary. And I'm going to ask Gary to read the scripture for us. Thank you. Please open your Bible app or Bible to Romans 16. And please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Thank you. The Apostle Paul said, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Gary. If you were found guilty of a crime and you're standing before a judge, would you prefer to receive mercy or would you prefer grace? If you had the choice between mercy and grace, which would you choose? Someone defines mercy as not receiving what we deserve. But grace could be defined as receiving far more blessing than we deserve. To use the courtroom illustration, mercy would be like not having to go to jail. But grace would be the equivalent of not only avoiding jail, but also receiving the blessing of a clean slate, being able to go back into the workforce, to have the money to get started, to have a place to call your own, to be able to enjoy friends and family and start a new life. Mercy and grace are important, but this morning we're going to talk about grace. The Apostle Paul was called the Apostle of Grace. Over and over again, he teaches and preaches on the subject of grace. Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, beginning with Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And in every one of Paul's letters, he starts off with these words, grace to you. Sometimes he says grace and peace to you or grace and mercy to you, but he always starts his letters with the grace of God and he always ends his letters with the grace of God. When we think about the Apostle Paul pointing us to grace, I think it's helpful for us to ask, what exactly is grace? We use religious words and of course we're in church and so we're going to use words from the Bible, our textbook, our source of living. But what does grace mean? Somebody has defined grace as unmerited favor. Another definition of grace that I like is God's eternal commitment to do good for his people. God's eternal commitment to do good for his people. If you're taking notes, you might write the acronym G-R-A-C-E. 
And some have said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. I'll give you another acronym for the road. You could also say that grace is God's righteous assistance that Christ extends. Grace is God's righteous assistance that Christ extends. In grace, there's two aspects. There's both salvation and there's strength. And it's important for us to see both aspects. For grace, first and foremost, refers to our moment of salvation or how God quickened our hearts and we received his grace. So that's salvation. But grace also, again, refers to the strength to live day by day. To put it in a different way, grace refers to acceptance with God and assistance from God. Both are true and both refer to amazing grace. In the next few minutes, my goal is to inspire you with the grace of God, give you an application of how it applies to healing from hard religion, and then we're going to pray together as a family that the Lord would help us move forward in strength. If you're taking notes, I invite you to follow along either on the app or in your bulletin, and let's look at this matter of grace. Number one, grace. We need it for all kinds of reasons. We need it for all kinds of reasons. In this sermon, we're just going to look at these few words at the end of verse 20, when he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Number one, we need it for all kinds of reasons. This sentence is best understood as a prayer. In the Greek language, the indicative and the imperative are spelled exactly the same. Only context can help us determine which one he's referring to. But here it's obvious that it's a prayer. It's as if he's saying, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Or Roman believers, I pray that the grace of Jesus be with you. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at the different reasons the Roman Christians needed God's grace. A few weeks ago, when the first Sunday in February, we saw that they needed God's grace to get into a safe place. There were some teachers creeping into the church that were teaching doctrine contrary to the gospel, and they were causing division. Division isn't always a bad thing. Jesus' ministry brought about division. Uh, but when division comes because of people's lack of love for the gospel, Paul says, hey, wait a, minute, wait a minute, you need to step in and protect the church. And so he invited the people to mark those or watch out for those who were causing division and to avoid them, to know where they were, to not put themselves under their ministry, and just to carefully, cautiously love and guard the church, get into a safe place. Paul prayed for the church to receive the grace, we said two weeks ago, to keep putting the ball in the hoop. Uh, just like the best basketball players know that the way to win games isn't to cry out of the refs, it's not to complain about the rules, it's not to complain about something in the stands, but the best basketball players just put the ball in the hoop. And so Paul says, I pray that your obedience continues to be known among all. Be wise about that which is good and be simple about that which is evil. It required God's grace. Last Sunday, we saw that uh, he invited them to see the big picture. He reminded them that the hurt they had experienced, 
even the religious hurt or any pain or abuse that we may experience ultimately finds its roots in the devil himself. Oh, we said last week that the devil can't be blamed for every problem in life. When my washing machine breaks down, I can't necessarily blame the devil. You know, when my car breaks down, I can't necessarily blame the devil. Unless you drive a Chevy instead of a Ford, then maybe. But we, don't, we certainly don't see the devil behind every bush. But Paul invites the church to see that the great head of the serpent, the great uh, arch enemy of God... Satan himself, and although a created being by God, is bent on our destruction. So last week, it took grace for us to see the big picture. But you can imagine this church wrestling with the feelings of bitterness, wrestling with the feelings of victimization. Are are we victims? Should we crawl in a corner and hide Should we be angry? Should we fight? All these questions coming up in the church. And so Paul ends his letter, and he says, yes, you're at war with Satan. And yes, you must continue to obey. And yes, you need to mark those who are causing divisions. But do everything you do with grace. May it never be said of the early church or of Bible-centered church that we do anything we do apart from the grace of God. Received a great testimony this week via email. One of our members writes, I was raised in a difficult religious system. The emphasis was on religion, not relationship with Jesus. Salvation was based on works, which was believed to be more gradual, a lifelong process by which a person becomes more and more like Jesus. Over time, though, the Lord led me to Bible Center in search of real meaning for Christianity. The departure of this religious system left me with so much guilt that I sought counseling here at Bible Center. Through the help of a counselor, I learned that salvation comes through what Jesus did alone not by my works to be saved. Intending my adult Bible fellowship and workshops have helped me grow in my relationship with Christ, have helped me learn about the Bible and embrace God's loving promises. I'm thankful for this church in the last few years that has helped me heal from hard religion. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're about. When we look at verse uh, 20, the last part, when he says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, it's important that we see this, what theologians call future grace. I'd love to recommend a book to you uh, about this subject. It's written by John Piper, entitled Future Grace. I was thinking this week about the different kinds of books I recommend each Sunday. Some books are kind of like McDonald's. You know, some of them are kind of like, you know, Happy Meals. They're just short, 100 pages or less. And books like that can be good, just a quick one-evening read. And then there's some books that are, you know, they're a little bit more like Steak Escape. You know, even though, yeah, it isn't a gas station uh, here, here close by, still, Steak Escape's a step up from McDonald's. You're going to get some actual real meat. Not sure what the other is, but you're going to get real meat. And then some books are going to be more like The Chop House. This book is more like The Chop House. It's about 400 pages It'll take you a good week to get through, but I would strongly encourage you to check out this book. It's written in 31 chapters, so you can read a chapter a day. But 
The, the scriptures talk about this thing called future grace. And by future, I'm not just referring to heaven. I'm referring to the future. Like the next one, two, three seconds. And the future is the next one, two, three seconds. When Paul says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, he was referring to everything that's future. He knew that the leader of the Roman church was going to take the scroll and they were going to, to read these words to the church. And sometimes when they finished reading these words, they would, they would pass them around to other churches. Some of them were more like circular letters. But he knew that at some point the scroll was going to be closed. And that's why at the end of all 13 of Paul's letters, he says, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ continue with you. In other words, when the scroll is closed, grace continues. It's future grace. You'll need grace when the cancer comes. You'll need grace when your loved one or a friend commits suicide. You'll need grace to get out of work tomorrow morning and, or get out of bed tomorrow morning and go to work or get out of work and go to bed, whichever one. <laughs> you need the grace of God to love your wife. We need the grace of God to love our kids. The grace of God was never intended just to be a church thing. It's more than Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so on Sunday. But the grace of God is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When you say, I can't do it, the grace of God says, I can. We need God's grace for all kinds of reasons. But number two, thankfully, Jesus gives his grace to all kinds of people. Jesus gives his grace to all kinds of of people. Again in verse 20, he writes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If you underline, you might underline Lord Jesus Christ. The grace is his grace, not our grace. Reminds me of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Grace is at the core of God's nature. It's not all that God is. Uh, John says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. There's the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. But certainly grace is part of the core being of God. I was thinking this week about this painting, one of Rembrandt's, uh, of the prodigal son. Maybe hard for you to see from your angle um, but this is the prodigal son that Jesus tells the story coming home. The father runs out and meets him. He's spoiled his inheritance. You think the father would never let him in the house, but the father still forgives. The father kills the fatted calf and they have a party. There's a big feast. The father receives his son. I'd like you to zoom in. Let's zoom in to this next picture. I learned this week that the hands of the prodigal father on the back of his son are different hands, Rembrandt painting them differently on purpose. The hand on your right, which would be his left, is a strong, mighty, powerful hand. And the hand on his right, our left, is a more 
soft, tender, gentle hand. And I didn't know till this week, Rembrandt painted those two hands to show the two aspects in the nature of our God. Is God powerful? Absolutely. But is God gracious and forgiving and loving without a doubt? This is part of the good news of God. Grace is the overflow of God's goodness, which points to the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news that the living God, who demands perfection of all humankind, sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a sinless life, to suffer and die on the cross as a substitute for our sins, absorbing the judgment we rightfully deserve, to rise again, to ascend back into heaven, and to grant forgiveness, righteousness, his spirit, and eternal life at the moment anyone repents and believes. This past week, Pastor Matt Garrison told me the story. There was a gentleman here, and he may be here this morning. I'd love to meet you. He shared the story that uh, last Sunday, at the end of the service, one of our new brothers in the faith prayed to receive Christ. And he told, he called, Matt called him this week, and he told him the story that he was out on his delivery truck here in the hills of West Virginia, and he was at the end of his rope, and he was just so discouraged and he said, Lord, give me a sign. Now, for the record, I don't recommend that. Please don't leave here and say, Lord, give me a sign. I don't often recommend that. But sometimes God does that. And as he was driving it in one evening on his delivery route, he said that he turned the corner right after he'd prayed that prayer. God, I need a sign. And it was a delivery route he had done hundreds, if not more times. And somebody had, for the first time, lit up a big lit up cross in their yard. Right after, a second after he prayed that prayer, Lord, give me a sign. And so he stops and he says, Lord, you're doing something in my life. And he stops and he just takes a picture of the cross and he asks his nephew the next day, where can I hear more about the cross? And his nephew is a member here at Bible Center Church. His nephew says, man, you've got to come here. And last Sunday for the very first time in his life, he darkened the doors of a church heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and at the end of the service, bowed his head to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. When that man asked God to save his soul, God's grace saved his soul. And today, if you ask God to save your soul, God's grace can save your soul too. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're reminded of this truth in verse 20. If you're also underlining or taking notes, I've underlined in my Bible the word our and the word you. It's, it's small, but it's important. The Apostle Paul was writing to a specific group of people. He says, this is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For some reason, he chose this particular word. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here he's making it personal. He's our Lord. And may he be with you. Who's the you? Well, all the way back in chapter 1 and verse 7, we find that uh, Paul addressed this letter to the Christians in Rome. Um, but here in chapter 16, he gives us a list of names, specific people to whom the letter was addressed. 
Actually, there's about 30 people in verse, chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, and we won't take time to go through all the names, but it's a diverse group of people. And I love the beauty of the first century church. You have servants and government officials. You have men, you have women, rich and poor, Asians and Africans and, and Europeans and, and married folks and single folks, famous people and obscure people. I didn't know it till this week, but I love this. Uh, in verse 13 of chapter 16, this is, this is free. In verse, in verse 13, he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. This afternoon, you might check out Mark 15, 21. In Mark 15, 21, Mark, who was writing with the Roman church in mind as well, they had the same audience in mind. Mark connects Rufus and tells us who he is. Rufus was the son of the man who carried Jesus' cross, Simon the Cyrene. Rufus is his son. And so when the Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church and saying, this, is for, this grace isn't just for a specific class of people, it's for all people. They would have been encouraged they would have taken comfort. They would have found healing. Before we move on to our last point, I believe it's good for us to have just a quick family conversation when it comes to how we can heal from hard religion. Certainly the grace of Jesus is for those of us that have experienced this background in some degrees or another. And what I've learned in the last three or four weeks is that what I have approached as, as spiritual abuse from, from my experience pales in comparison to what many of you have experienced. The notes you've sent me, the conversations we've had, it's by the grace of God that any of us are still in church and that any of us are still walking with the Lord, only by His grace, not our strength. But the question has to be asked, is there also any grace for those who have caused spiritual abuse? I mean, we talk about those of us, and, and if we're not careful, sometimes we'll get almost the, the victim mentality, and I've done it, and maybe, maybe you've done it. But what about the grace for those who have, who have in good, for good reason, caused this hard religion? You know, Jesus even offers grace to them. Again, some other time, I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 through 30 is a verse we often quote, uh, but it's one that we, we seldom recognize in its context. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly or gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Matthew 11, I checked it again this morning, Jesus wasn't just throwing this out for anybody. I mean, certainly it applies to anybody. But in context, Jesus was talking to the ultra-religious. He was specifically talk, naming some cities, and he says these cities were so religious, he says if the works had been done in, in Tyre and Sidon or in Sodom and Gomorrah that had been done in these religious citadels of Israel, he says that those people in Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented already. 
He says, you're so religious, but yet you're missing the forest for the trees, and they were causing heartache. And Jesus said some pretty hard-pointed things towards these religious elite, these religious arrogant leaders. But it was to them that he writes, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. The very next verse, he says, you who are causing the religious heartache, you come to me as well. And I recognize that Bible-centered church, could God use us in this valley to not only bring healing to those who have been hurt, but also to be a testament of grace towards those who maybe have caused the hurt? Blessed are the who? The peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Jesus said, my grace is for all kinds of people, which is why you and me are here today. Number three, we see one more application from grace. And it's simply this. Grace, we can show it in all kinds of ways. We can show it in all kinds of ways. In verse 20, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul prayed for them to enjoy God's grace. But this is more than just a prayer of enjoyment. It's a prayer of demonstration. He's reminding them like a pastor reminds his people, don't just receive it for yourself, but show it to others. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May you be characterized by the same grace you have received. If you'll turn over with me or scroll over with me to chapter 13, in verse 8, what are some ways we can show this grace? Romans 13, 8 through 10. This is how Paul ends his letter. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet... And any other command are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. We see it again in chapter 14, verse 1. In chapter 14, verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. He gives thanks while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse 7 is so powerful. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live unto the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
But why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Chapter 15, the last verses we'll read. Chapter 15 and verses 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but it is written, The reproaches of those who have reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another and in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Here's my final encouragement for this series. Ask God to make you the most gracious Christian you know. Ask God to make you the most gracious Christian you know. Now, this kind of works like asking God to make you the most humble Christian you know. If you think you are that, you probably aren't that. <laughs> but what, what would our church look like if we continued to ask God to make us so much more of a, of a gracious people this week, I saw God's grace at work in a number of ways. One way I saw His grace at work was with all the men and women yesterday who continue to serve on weekends and flood relief. There will be some announcements in the next couple of Sundays about how more of us can get involved in that ongoing effort. But that's the grace of God at work. Those are gracious people. Every Monday, there are two or three cars parked here filled with ladies our ladies who are doing our laundry for our kids' ministry. I saw them again this week and was reminded, there's the grace of God at work at Bible Center. Yesterday, there was the funeral for longtime Bible Center member Wes Bitzer. And it was reminded of the grace of God when his, his grandson and granddaughter got up and shared about how their grandpa had made a huge impact on their life. And he said the only reason he was able to pass chemistry was because his grandpa took a whole summer and tutored him in chemistry. That's a pretty cool grandpa. That's the grace of God. I saw the grace of God yesterday with five or six of our ladies who prepared, prepared the huge funeral meal. I saw the grace of God this week in one uh, friend confiding in another friend. I saw the grace of God fully present uh, with dozens of student sponsors who stayed up all night for insomnia. They're probably not here. They're probably still in bed. Our teen, our teen all-nighter. That's the grace of God at work. I saw the grace of God at work this week in one of our men's groups as they went down to Mountain Mission to serve a meal as they do each month, just to say, hey, we love the gospel and we love you. I saw the grace of God in this email this week. Michelle Thompson sent this to all of our staff. And she titled it, I ran smack dab into Jesus this week. This is what her email said. I ran smack dab into Jesus yesterday and he looked exactly like, and she named a name, which I'll not do. 
I wanted to let you know how very blessed I was personally by her servant's heart. You see, this lady serves on the meal care team here at Bible Center and had been asked to provide a meal to one of our ladies, a sudden foster mom to five children. Unbeknownst to me, this lady had taken the new foster mom a meal on Wednesday, and she did not only drop off the meal, but she took home some baskets of dirty laundry and had washed and folded them all. When I walked into my friend's home on Thursday to help her rearrange bedrooms, there stood this young lady again doing the dishes. I said, I didn't know you knew so-and-so, to which she replied, I didn't, but I met her last night. Michelle writes, what a sweet picture of grace and acceptance of the church being the laundry and dishwashing hands and feet of Jesus. May we truly be the church, and in this case, Allen Creek can't live without. Ask God to make you the most gracious Christian you know. And I'm convinced God will heal us from hard religion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We give you the glory. This is all you. Thank you for those who've prayed to receive Christ. And Father, I ask for this morning someone you brought here who needs Jesus as their Savior. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you'd like to pray and receive Christ, I invite you to do so right where you sit. There's no magic prayer in the Bible. But no one has ever called on the name of the Lord for salvation and been disappointed. As I pray, will you pray these words in your heart with me? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I need forgiveness. I need salvation. I believe you love me and died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again the third day. And I ask you to be my Savior, to be my Lord, and heal my life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, let me invite you today to let us know. We'd love to get some materials into your hand to help you. We won't make it awkward. But this week, we'd love to follow up and touch base and just get a Bible, get God's Word into your life and help you grow. That's why we're here. Christian, let's take just a moment before we sing this last song and ask God, what is my next step?